everybody, you're listening to the Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. Ropanawa first encountered Shibari and Kambaku in 2008 at a performance in Australia. This experience stayed with him and he began his own journey with rope back in his home of Switzerland. First, learning Osada Steve style with local teachers. Rather than stay with one style, however, he has been inspired by many, as he feels there is not one way to tie. Rather, the heart of his style lies in the needs of his model. Through the diversity within his approach, he can best respond to his partner's needs and wants, focusing and appreciating the non-verbal con- connection that he creates with each tying partner. He currently teaches full-time in his studio in Basel, Switzerland, while travelling and teaching internationally with his muse, Freya Hellersdim. Hi, Ropunawa, and welcome on the Rope Podcast. Hello, it's nice to be there. It's such a pleasure to have you. So, Ropunawa, to get us started today, how did you find out about rope bondage in the first place? I was generally always interested in uh, mangas, or like in anime, or in, like, and then naturally it just evolved to hentai mm-hmm. and in there was always the the interest in the weird sexual aspect on it on the hentai yeah not the tentacles so much but like the bdsm mm-hmm. and one day i was quite i was uh, for a year in australia but at the same time i was working as a freelancer uh, in the biggest hentai forum from germany oh, cool. uh, back in the days and I was uh, in charge of the section alternative. That okay. means everything that didn't fit in a bigger spectrum <laughs> landed there. So mm-hmm. I probably saw everything. <laughs> and yeah, and there it really evolved more and more. I just was collecting a lot of hentars and were is rope related. And, and then I was lucky to witness uh, kind of a performance uh, from Arisugo. Mm-hmm. And there I was like, okay, uh, that's really something I want to learn. And when I was back in Switzerland, I was lucky because we had already a place uh, set in Switzerland uh, who has actually in two weeks his 15 years uh, anniversary. Uh, It's called uh, Seilschaften, Secret 56, and it's one of the oldest places I know in Europe, and it still stands strong. In terms of hentai manga that have a heavy rope element, is there any authors you like that you would recommend? Ah, this is a it's a really good question. I'm unfortunately really bad with names, but uh, I can make 
in the future again with a little bit stories of which authors I recommend because I'm honestly not a very good research guy. I don't collect so well names and Japanese names are for me really difficult to mm. remember usually. So there's, but I can say there's quite a few good ones. Um, but unfortunately, the names I cannot recall. It. Yeah, maybe you can give us a list later and we'll include them in the in the notes for this uh, episode. So after discovering rope bondage, how did you progress into doing it yourself and how did you learn? Mm, as I said, I kind of started with this old place where we have in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And for me back then, it was way too technical. Um, I mean, the place was uh, inspired or was really fan, fan of Osada Rio. Uh, the old Osada Rio the, back in the days was like really structured and as would you go to a judo sport uh, training as well with Rios, but they still have, but nowadays I find it much more emotional, but back in the days it was very technical. So yeah. I'm Rather, I was quite soon more on the road. I was visiting different European countries and went to different teachers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that um, I just picked up a lot of things. I never found someone where I wanted to stuck and dedicate the, uh, my whole passion to him. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't find anyone. So far. And and what kind of rope is important to you now? So how has your rope practice evolved to today? Um, I practice rarely, actually. If I say, say to someone or to people I tie, uh, would you like to do something, then they know already. Um, it's It will end a little bit more session-like, uh, but practicing is for me just to tie regularly just to keep in shape, but I do not have any idea where I end up, except for a few shapes where I know I have to practice it because if someone asks me to teach that for a workshop and then I just need to remember how I get there, because of most of the time, I really don't know where I will end up anymore. And who are your influences now? My influences nowadays, I think there's quite a lot of names, actually. Um, I mean, I still be very much, I mean, to be honest, I probably everyone can still influence me a bit. Because if I just see something on Instagram where I just said, huh, I never thought about that, then I want to know more. And I think the biggest inspiration where I keep having since years is um, uh, still Nicola Yoroi or uh, Yagami Ren, Akira Naka, um, Michael Ropnight, um, Tiferet, absolutely, my friend Tiferet. Uh, but there are so many, I cannot really recall it because usually what I do is, it's, what I learn is Nowadays, like the uh, small things, there's something, someone does it a little bit different. And then I want to understand why it does it different. 
And maybe I agree, hey, I think for me, as me, for me as a person, what he's doing works very well for me. Why then not implementing it to that, what I do already? So I guess I still be influenced by a lot of people nowadays. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. And how would you describe your own style of tying? Uh, adaptive, I would say. Uh, I would say that I. it depends in which setting I tie. So if it's for me private, then it's more-ish, like-ish, I think, Yukimura philosophy, philosophical, because if I feel like, ah, oh, this person really likes pain, or this person likes shame, or this person just wants to be on the eye level, on the same eye level, and we want to dance through the room, I can provide that. I can give that to the person, and I'm very adaptive, and I get a lot of joy out when people in the end of the session just say, hey, that just that said, actually, really good i didn't expect it or i didn't expect that we had this very nice non-verbal um communication together if i go for example abroad or if i do performance it also depends where i do the performance where's the crowd if it's in a big fetish convention i do something with loud music and maybe some transitions because people love to sing that and still with connection, but a little bit different. And if I perform in a little art gallery uh, in my hometown, then it's mostly very subtle or very emotional. And I just adapt to the, what I think fits into the environment and to my partner while time. So where do your own desires fit in the work then? How do your own needs and wants fit in? Mm, that is a very good question because I always thought like, okay, I'm a people pleaser, so I will gradually burn out. Um, but I just learned to say no a lot. <laughs> so that's important for me not to please everyone. Also, my own partners, sometimes if they ask or if I feel like, I don't really want to be tied. And I say, now nah, today I really don't, I really don't have the energy. I really don't feel it. Let's do it tomorrow, for example. So uh, you, you will say no today, but that means you don't burn out and then you can say yes another day instead of like burn out and then finished. Yeah, this is something because when I started and I was starting to be better, I don't think I was good back then, but it was good enough to be, uh, 
being desirable to try with a lot of people in my area, or let's say in general in Switzerland, I didn't refuse any offer. I tried with, I think 90% of people would approach me. And this is exhausting. Also because there were no pay of, of it. There was no trade that um, what was enough for the energy I put in to the people I tied. So maybe like 10 years ago, I ch- exchanged it more with sexual activities, like uh, having sex in the end, or like also um, just being treated nicely afterwards. But that is also very exhausting. Mm. So um, I needed to find new ways to balance myself that I feel like, yes, I can keep doing that and without burning out and without also causing too much drama. Yeah, of course. And so nowadays, how do you decide what person you're going to tie with or not? Um, there's surely an aspect of aesthetic. I mean, there there's things... I always compare that with if I would go in a bar, uh, would I talk to this person? And that's a very important thing first. Yes, like visually, I would talk to this person. And then the second but most important part is the smell. Can I smell this person? Mm. Um, I'm very sensitive with my nose. Uh, and that's really, really important. Mm. So after that, I generally try to give myself a little bit time to know this person. And then if this person is up to tie with me, then yes, then I go for it. That's cool. And so you said you used to tie with like maybe 90% of the people who asked you yeah. back in the day. Nowadays mm-hmm. in the present, mm-hmm. what would you say the percentage is now? Uh, probably, I think if I think if 10 people approach me, I tie with one or two of them. Mm, Big change, big Mm. change. And how did your becoming um, a full-time rope teacher uh, affect how you feel about rope? I think it's, on one point, it's kind of um, dream comes to life in a way. But also back in the days, I always said to me, no, no, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to make money out of it. I also had teachers who did that part-time. Um, and everyone tells me it's not worth it. It's um, You don't will really be happy and so on. And I always kept, kept that in my mind. But then I came together with my partner is it i'm still together since now starts the idea um where i had the opportunity to build something up she was really supportive so my first year was not very beneficial financially but um what was important for me was more like I want to do more. I want to learn more. And so I invited more people. 
invited people I find they are interesting or what I find I want to learn from them. And I just realized that this makes my own education much better because I don't have to pay and this educator gets paid. And in the end, I also have some money out of it and I can learn a lot. And I did that for three years straight, like every second month, I had a different presenter at my place or let's say at our place. And that was exhausting, but also very fulfilling because I learned so much. And the other months I also traveled for my, for my teaching, for my learning. Um, but not to get sidetracked, I think for me, I, it was never my intention. But when I quit my job, uh, like seven years ago or six years ago now, um, I was unemployed and at that time I just checked my options and after a year I just realized that I make the same money as I get from the unemployment uh, so I just continued and then it went more and more and it was yeah it, now it's enough that I can make a good living and probably also could support a family. But that's nice. That's really nice. Mm. Um, and I think you've traveled for your world education. Um, I think I remember you going to Japan. Is that right? Yes, I was uh, a few times in Japan. So, so I would also say many times. Uh, I started to, uh, to go there almost every year. Now, since the pandemic, I wasn't there because everyone knows it's probably very hard to get in there um but therefore i was like five times in japan and mostly probably not very good also for me i was all the times i was there only one week i spent for holidays the rest of the time i was always at a place i was always learning spending money for, and making friends in a way, and also just be there. And what was that experience like? So being uh, a foreigner in the Japanese rope scene? I think the Japanese rope scene in general are very interested in people like us. Um, they want to have fun. There are um, yeah, maybe they see something and they feel like, oh, that's nice. They're, they're very happy to please as well. I think um, they are, if you are nice and humble, they really, they really just liking you. Also, that was my experience with the scene. I was not in all the scenes. Um, I was uh, in the Navakai scene. I was in uh, a little bit... Uh, I looked at the Kinoko scenes a bit, but mostly the bar scenes where I felt like it doesn't really matter which color and which nationality you have. And at those places, I always felt like very much welcomed. But also you pay an entrance fee. So 
you can also say it's their job to let you feel nice, but I don't know. It it was it, the scene itself. I felt much more welcomed because they are all outcasts from the society in a way, and they are much more open-minded and as the Japanese culture itself. When you go through the streets and try to start a conversation with someone, that's much, much more difficult as if you go to a rock place. Okay, because you have something in common and they're more open to talking. Probably, yeah. Mm. yeah. And you've traveled quite a lot um, mm. around the world and many rope, rope scenes. Um, how, what can you tell us about the different rope scenes around the world? I mean, I don't want to start any, like, I don't want to say anything bad. I think every culture has a huge impact on their own rope scene. And I know that there are countries where they are, have much more drama and much more dramatic interactions with the different local scenes or, um, there's also sometimes a lot of jealousy and fights. I mean, we deal with something with them very much with emotions, but I think um, I like to see different scenes, but I also caught myself to be like in the middle of a crossfire. And I'm just like, okay, uh, that's probably the last time I've been here because it does not feel good to be on a place where one community is like, hey, we have Rokunawa, and the other place is like, oh, we would like to have him, but now you guys have it, but so we discredit the the thing, or chaos. This is really difficult. Scenes everywhere around the world with every kind of things are difficult, but in the rope scenes, I felt it's very interesting to see how different it is in each country. So in Switzerland, we, for example, have like a group chat where everyone who is um, a rope educator or having a place has a place in this group. And we talk to each other. We, uh, if there's problems, we will talk openly to each other. But probably it's working with because Switzerland is in mass, it's not so big. We only have like 8 million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a lot of high density. Um, we have a lot of places. I mean, even in my hometown, there's two places and we have 250,000 people. Uh, then I hop in the car and drive <clears throat> 40 minutes in every direction I want. I mean, four directions and there's another studio. So it's really packed and still it's enough to make, for me at least, to make a living out of it. Um, But then I go to Germany and there's a lot of envy and a lot of trash talk and I really hope it stops, as it's got better actually, but in uh, like five years ago it was really bad or in Pause where it's really next to, I, I, I have five minutes and I'm in the French country. Hmm. Um, and the scene there is so much different. 
there is so much hate and so much drama. And it's really sad because I think like no one steals from every, like no one steals anything. The scene is getting to the point where it's getting bigger. The only thing will causes this is because people will think like, oh, I really enjoy rope. I have now a few years experience and now I want to make my own rope jam. And if you do your own rope jam, you're starting to be in a way a community leader. Yeah, for sure. And when you are, and when you are a community leader, people look up to you. And when people are starting looking up to you, power exchange is always happening. Mm. And most of the people not very good in handling power dynamics. So, and they should not be in a positioning of power uh, because they don't have enough experience yet or they never thought about it or they just slide into it. And this is something I mm, see a lot during the scene that that can cause a lot of trauma. And also, it really depends on which kind of country you go. Is it a, a country where you can talk a little bit more openly about rope? If so, the community got really big. And for example, in the US, where you have one studio in a city where you have like a half a million of people, I mean, that's, it's a different scale as now for me in Switzerland, where my rope jams visiting 16 to 20 people. Also because I don't have much more space, but, um, you just see it so different. And also cultural wise, how they approach rope. For me, I always are open. I always say for me, a rope is sexual. Uh, but if you want to learn some techniques or you want to have more <clears throat> aesthetic point of view without sexual energy, I can, I'm able to teach it, but it's not my, my heart. So that I also have to adapt to the countries I go. In your travels, did you ever find problems with the police or the authorities about doing rope bondage? No. So far, not. I'm probably just too handsome. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> also, no, we have the same haircut, shady. so I can vouch for it yes. being a very handsome haircut. <laughs> yeah. It really helps because uh, I think, and I also don't hide anything. I mean, my Instagram, I think it's, it's in a way it's clean. But it's also not clean. For those people who understand rope, they see like, okay, there's a lot of energy behind it. Uh, and for people who have no idea about rope, they think like, whoa, this looks crazy. Oh, okay, that's really body art or something like that. So I also try to be aware how I present myself to the outside. And one, my biggest thing why I probably never have problem with authorities is I'm not on OnlyFans. I'm not of any sexual pay side. I don't make porn, except maybe private, but I don't produce porn. And this is very difficult. If you do that for in many countries, you, you have problems. Mm. We've talked to some uh, rope educators who hold more of a position that rope itself is sex work. So 
teaching rope mm-hmm. or being paid to do rope in any way. What are your thoughts on that? I disagree. I think it's the it's the mindset, how you present those things. I think, um, yeah, it is. It can be very sexual. I mean, the roots are very, very sexual. Um, uh, Kimbaku and Shibari, when you when you talk to the rope people in Japan, they don't want to make a difference. They just say, Kimbaku Shibari is the same for me, and it's very sexual. It's pornographic. It's dirty. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I love that. But it's like, in a way, it's like pole dance. That was also stigmatized a lot, uh, and it's also was also very sexual. And now they made uh, a good sport out of it, where you feel a good, you get a good feeling with your own body. And I think rope can be even more. You can have it in a meditative state in a way you can have it using it as an as an art form you can using it as um to get uh, in contact with your own body um there are a lot of approaches to it and i mean if it's it's, it's just my opinion and it's just my thoughts about those things and then no one really to to decide that but I think it would get everything would get easier if we could separate the word kimbaku and shibari mm. and that we could use kimbaku for everything with sexual it doesn't matter if it's in mindset or it's just dirty porn or something like this and shibari is for everything else like like the general word for Ah, you like to play with ropes. Ah, what do you do with ropes? And, and I think what will happen in a way one day, I hope, is that the rope scene will have, um, have two different paths. I mean, it's already happening. And there are people who sexualize rope a lot and the other ones who will, um, do the dirty stuff in their little basement and just enjoying that a lot. Um, not for the mainstream and the other ones will do it for the mainstream. And there will be those people probably like me will just be in the middle and just goes where I feel like, uh, here I have can, I'm allowed to present like this and so on. Um, yeah. I'm interested that you say the Swiss community seems quite healthy in terms of uh, relationships between the different parts of it. What lessons or best practices do you think you could share that might help other communities um, also build healthy BDSM and rope communities? I think, um, yeah, that's it's always as why this exists is because of my partner and me we made first rope help um there is a website ropehelp.ch uh where we said hey if some people feel bad in experiences with rope you can contact uh, some different models or readers or people in different fields <clears throat> uh, when you have questions it does not get used so much, but what it helped is that the places um, came together 
And I think the only thing why this works is because you take your time and you swallow your ego and just realize that everyone's in a way sitting in the same boat. Um, I would give it a try. I would go to the others and just say, hey, uh, we have the same goal. You have maybe a little bit of different approach of rope, but we can support each other. If I have a student where I feel like, hey, he is more into Semenava, I can recommend him your place. And if you feel like Semenava is not something from me, for for this person, maybe you could send it to me because I'm certified Yukimura instructor, for example. And just getting into the dialogue. I mean, look, there's so many people are interested in rope. We rarely steal each other's students and stuff like this. And if it's for me, I feel my best students are those who come to me regularly, but then maybe for a year they go somewhere else and just exploring and then they come back and then we continue with something new because I'm very adaptive and I think I'm missing that a lot in the scene. People are happy with that toolbox where they go or their style they follow. And then they more or less blindly following that or just don't want to change much or don't want to look outside of the box. Um, but it changed a lot in Switzerland. It really, all the places are, they have their favorite styles usually, but they're mostly open for others. Or like if someone comes to their place and does something completely different, they're not judging them because they do it differently they curious or they're like, ah, interesting. How did it feel? Okay, for me, it looks too extreme. I would never do that with my partner. And that's okay. We don't try to fight. So I think the best start to do something in your community, find your next local dojo, chuku studio, or whatever you like to call it, and get in touch and just talk. You don't have to be best friends. I'm not friends with everyone from our scene. There's a lot of disagreement, but in the end, uh, networks are important. So more dialogue, more openness. More dialogue, more openness, and don't have a stick in your ass. <laughs> Unless that's what you like and you consent it. But the other people need to consent to talking to you as well in that case. Uh, okay, awesome. Uh, Ropunawa, do you have any particular project or website or a class that's coming up that you would like to talk about? My website, tyingwithfriends.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really good in social media. I mean, also on Instagram, I post maybe once per month a picture. Okay. Mm, I have a lot of international projects again. Um, I will be every month, I will be in a different country wow. and there's still a lot of first at the moment. Um, uh, there will be England, there will be Ireland, there will be Finland, there will be, um, oh man, there will be also the US again. Mm -hmm. 
maybe maybe on on the other countries I cannot really list now because it's not decided yet. Okay, sounds uh, really nice. Germany again, but in Germany, I mean, the, uh, five minutes I'm also in Germany. So I <laughs> yeah, okay. Order <laughs> to Germany and French. Okay, awesome. I also plan to do. I mean, one of my things where people really enjoyed the last couple two years is my approach to Hashira. Mm-hmm. It's really different as the classical approach to it. Um, and I did a lot of classical. I studied a lot with Naka. Um, I I looked a lot into it. Um, I learned a lot. But as I am, I got a little bit bored out of it because it just had, in a way, a one purpose and there was more the semi approach. And I tell a lot of the people, Senna is not for them, or at least they sometimes they say, okay, today I, for me, this headspace feels good, but also for my other partner, for Freya Hellestein, um, we, we went away from Seminara since a while now, and we do it differently a bit. It's still, it could be still Senna, but not the slow, Slow build up. That's so, what, why do you think thing. you uh, moved away from Seminawa? I, I think I didn't move away. I just moved away with those partners who are not into it okay. anymore. Because I'm very adaptive. Hmm. And okay. if I don't see the joy of the people, I generally like to make people happy. Hmm. And I think. Just because I have an idea, I feel it's so forceful. And if the person not is not into that, to be treated forcefully or treated in a way that um, maybe I should start that a little bit different. Uh, I would say, in general, uh, when we practice rope, we're thinking about shapes what we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go for a very Japanese approach, is you do those shapes and they always can change a bit, but you perfect them. You do it 100 times, 200 times, even more, and you always get some joy out of it or you get better and better. But that's not me. Uh, I just had to realize, sadly, that I'm surely not Japanese and I have also a different mindset. So you don't want to do 200 katahashis? No, I don't want to do 200 katahashis. Uh, I probably, I probably, I probably did a lot of katahashis. I did. <laughs> but, uh, if I do it nowadays, it's just for teaching. Hmm. For my own pleasure, it's rarely happening anymore because I just feel like it's also who I tie. If I have someone who is like, oh, I want to be your canvas, I want to please you, then it's like, ah, okay, cool. So you get joy out of it when I do whatever I want. Hmm. Then it's a different mindset. And then I also feel like, oh, I had this one exercise once with Naka who was really elaborated and complicated. Ah, let's do it with her, for example. Hmm. 
And I see that she gains a lot of joy out of it because she makes me happy. And then I have people who want something completely different. And then the same approach that just doesn't fit in there. Yeah, so it's not one size fit all. You have to adapt to whoever you're playing with. Yes, I for me is uh, I have always a little bit a different. Uh, um, it's very really funny actually when I talk with different countries, I hear different feedbacks about me. Like some people feel like, oh, he's very sadistic, and then someone other said like. Oh my God, his, like this, his robe was so sexual and, ah, mm. uh, it was more arty. And then it's always depending a little bit of the crowd I have in front of me and the model I try. And because the last couple, two years was mainly with Freya Hellerstein. So my teaching approach was mostly the same. So now people think like, ah, Ropunawa is known for his creativity in Hashira, in his, uh, with the connection and just different kind of harnesses, just not a TK. Mm. And what is up, what is kind of true, but also not entirely true because I do still do a lot of TKs. I just stopped teaching it mm. because if I said, uh, now you do a TK, half of the room, I look in their eyes and it's just like they're, they're already, uh, again, or they're, okay. or like, yeah. for some. And I know I love to teach people. They are very, very dedicated and say to me, Hey, show me your TK. I want to see all the things you do. I mean, that's, that's a very dedicated people. But if you teach in front of uh, 15 couples, um, I, my strength there is really to feel like, how can I make of those 15 couples, like 90% really happy? Mm-hmm. And it's mostly not the TK. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. It's tragic, but it's true. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Ropunawa. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So that's all from us at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, where our name is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to Rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.